We often hear of parents warning their children about the dangers of strangers. But the reality is, children are more likely to come to harm by people they know than people they don't. Here at Stolen Lives, children cases are important to us. That's why we do what we do. We hope to bring awareness to the lost or to the forgotten. Cases like the brutal murder of Kelsey Shelton-Smith, searching for answers to discover the identity of Delta Dawn, and the unsolved missing persons case of Tabitha Tutors. Listen to Stolen Lives on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to great podcasts like the one you're listening to today. Reach Freaks. Invisible Choir explores detailed depictions of violence and murder and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What causes someone to collect women and their deepest emotions and affections, like objects or toys to be played with and eventually destroyed? Sometimes the prosecution has to make a deal with the devil to find out. This time, an invisible choir. Uh, we did a deal with the devil. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that, and I'm not proud of that. Uh, but there's no question that Kelsey wouldn't have had the sure justice today without making that deal. Like I said, she doesn't run off, and someone knows where she's at. Kelsey, we just want you home. Call us if you can, and we won't quit looking. dream of the day we will fall in love with that one special person, a soulmate we can build a life with. In fact, our brains are literally hardwired to fall in love. We seek out the euphoria that comes with romance. When we find it, our brains become flooded with those addictive, feel-good neurochemicals. Those same chemicals are what lead us through the stages of attraction and lust. Sometimes they help us transition to the longer-lasting feelings of attachment and love. But that same euphoria can inadvertently blind us to the red flags that might actually protect us. It can confuse us and cause us to ignore the signs that we might be falling for someone deceitful or possibly even dangerous, especially if that someone is experienced in the subtle art of manipulation. According to Harvard psychologist Martha Stout, approximately one in 25 people is a sociopath. In many cases, sociopaths are highly successful people and most fly under the radar as the proverbial quote, sociopath next door. Others think nothing of manipulating or lying to those they are in relationships with. They're often superficially charming, lack empathy, and tend to make grand gestures much too early in a relationship. It's easy to become swept up with emotion and believe that this type of person's intentions are sincere. It becomes natural for our heart and mind to believe that we have found true love, because if we're wrong, we suffer a broken heart. But for some, can be much deadlier consequences to falling for the wrong person. Kelsey Barrett was just 26 years old when she met Patrick Frazee, a man just three years her senior, on a Christian online dating site in mid-2016. Kelsey's attraction to Patrick was instant, and their chemistry was off the charts. The only downside to the match was distance. Kelsey lived in the state of Washington and Patrick in Colorado. She served as an elite Air Force flight instructor, a highly skilled and coveted job she worked a lifetime to attain. It was her dream. Patrick was a rancher, living in central Colorado in rural Teller County. He also worked as a popular local farrier, part blacksmith and part veterinarian, assisting other ranchers who were constantly dealing with horseshoes and therapeutic remedies for balancing horses' hooves. Patrick still lived and worked on his family's 35-acre cattle and horse ranch with his mother, and he was instantly taken with Kelsey. 
Neither one of them thought a long-distance relationship would work, and they longed to spend more time together, to bring their digital connection into the flesh. So just a few months into their new relationship, Patrick convinced Kelsey to leave her dreams behind and move to an apartment he rented for her while she looked for a new job in Colorado. With the promise of love, Kelsey quickly agreed to set aside her goals and start over. Patrick flew to Washington and helped her pack a U-Haul truck, eventually partnering with Kelsey on the 14-hour long drive back to Woodland Park, Colorado. After an entire day on the open road, they finally made it. But due to the late hour of their arrival, they opted to sleep at Patrick's ranch instead of Kelsey's new apartment and would begin unpacking her the next morning. Kelsey was looking forward to meeting Patrick's mother. She had high hopes that someday Sheila Frazee would become her mother-in-law and anticipated the two being close friends. Instead, the very next morning, Sheila Frazee accused Kelsey of being a prostitute, trying to trap her son and take his money. She didn't approve of their relationship and immediately questioned Kelsey's motives. She used language that Kelsey found offensive and insulting. But Kelsey, who was described as very shy and quiet, didn't know how to react to the verbal assault, so she said nothing at all. But Kelsey was deeply religious and believed in forgiveness, so she put the early unpleasantness with Patrick's mother aside and hoped through time she could win her over. Instead, Kelsey focused on her new relationship with Patrick. But now that they were living in the same state, finally able to connect in person, Patrick's attitude towards Kelsey suddenly changed. He could be angry and demeaning at the drop of a hat. When he was unhappy, he would punish Kelsey with icy silence. One minute, he was planning his future with her, and the next, he was putting pressure on her to get a job. He would dismiss jobs for which she was well-qualified, and then accuse her of using him. Kelsey grew confused over time by his continued mixed messages. While Patrick wanted her to work, he didn't want her working in the male-dominated field of training U.S. Air Force pilots. His own jealousy was preventing her from doing what he was asking, which was for her to become financially independent. One minute, he was professing his love, and the next, he was calling her crude names for wearing makeup and painting her nails. Because she was in such a specialized field, it took her almost eight months to land another permanent job. And by the time she was hired at DOS Aviation in Pueblo, Colorado, she had fallen pregnant with Patrick's child. It was an unplanned pregnancy that came with even more accusations from both Patrick and his mother. They accused Kelsey of intentionally getting pregnant out of wedlock. Sheila Frazee felt this proved Kelsey was a gold digger who was only trying to trap her son Patrick into supporting her. Unbeknownst to Kelsey at the time, Patrick had never stopped dating. Not only did he continue perusing online dating sites, but he was also engaged in a long-term affair with his married ex-girlfriend, an ex-girlfriend who knew nothing about Kelsey or their new child. In fact, no one in Patrick's life knew anything about Kelsey. She was nothing more than Patrick's dirty little secret. Kelsey was someone he could control with a single well-placed insult or a disapproving look. She was someone he no longer found worthy of becoming his wife. Patrick and his mother both continued in their belief that Kelsey intentionally became pregnant, never mind the fact that she had a network of strong family support and was now financially stable enough to support herself and their new daughter, Kaylee. But even after baby Kaylee was born, all of Patrick's close friends still believed him to be single and unattached, so it was surprising when he began showing up to appointments with a sleeping baby in the car. He told many of his friends and clients that he didn't know about his daughter Kaylee until the day she was born. In his version of events, he got a call from, quote, the mother, which is how he usually referred to Kelsey, telling him to come and get his baby or that she was going to give it away. He told others that Kelsey abandoned the baby altogether at birth or that he was the primary caregiver because the mother was abusive and had substance abuse issues. He told others yet that he was fighting for custody to save his child from an unfit parent. However, none of these stories were true, but they all had one thing in common. Patrick portrayed himself as the victim of a cold, callous, and calculating woman who wasn't fit to raise his child. But nothing could be further from the truth.
Kelsey was still in the throes of newfound love, believing that her and Patrick were still actively working towards a future, together. She told her family that her and Patrick were engaged, which he later denied. She also told her co-workers that they had already married, even listing Patrick as her emergency contact and primary beneficiary of her life insurance policy. But soon, Kelsey's three-hour round-trip commute to DOS Aviation began taking a toll on her, but Patrick refused to allow her to move any closer to her new job. Seeking greater stability for her and Kay Lee, Kelsey bought a condo in Woodland Park, Colorado that was located just 20 minutes away from Patrick. She longed for the day the two would eventually get married and own a ranch of their own. It was a dream she wasn't willing to give up on easily. It was a dream Patrick did not share with her. Kelsey would frequently send Patrick real estate listings to which he rarely replied. Most of her texts were simply ignored. And despite both of them working, he would continuously shame Kelsey for being a neglectful mother who didn't spend enough time with their daughter. He also refused to allow Kaylee to go to a babysitter or attend daycare closer to Kelsey's work. Instead, he insisted on taking Kaylee to work with him or would have his mother watch her. In turn, Kelsey, who worked in a high-pressure job, became stressed and could no longer sleep. And in August of 2018, she arranged to take a leave of absence at her job for two weeks while she attended a sleep and stress study for pilots in California. Despite Kelsey not drinking, Patrick told everyone that she was in rehab for depression and alcohol abuse while she was away. He would tell friends and family that Kelsey would go months without checking in on their daughter. And it was during this time that Patrick had secretly gone to an attorney and had a petition drawn up. He was seeking primary custody of Kaylee. But he never filed those papers because Patrick Frazee came up with a different solution to gain custody of their daughter altogether. A solution that wouldn't leave any loose ends. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. These are strange and frightening times. With the COVID-19 pandemic creating mass closures of most every service we have built our lives around, it's important to find ways to continue taking care of you. That's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp is not a crisis line or self-help service. It's professional counseling done securely online, available worldwide, and offers a broad range of expertise which might not otherwise be available in your area. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And the best part, you can start communicating in less than 24 hours. Once connected, you can log into your account anytime and send a message directly to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions from the safety and comfort of your own home in the midst of these uncertain times. BetterHelp is committed to establishing a great therapeutic match, so they make it easy and free to change counselors as needed. It's also more affordable than traditional counseling, and financial aid is available to those in need. Let BetterHelp assist you in living a happier life today. Our listeners can get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash invisible choir. That's betterhelp.com forward slash invisible choir. Or simply click the link in the show notes to join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional from the comfort of their own homes. In the midst of his continued courting of Kelsey Barrett, attempting to control nearly every aspect of her and their daughter's lives, Patrick was rekindling an old relationship. Twelve years before, in 2006, Patrick met then 20-year-old Crystal Kenny at the Teller County Fair where she was crowned rodeo queen. At the time, Crystal was staying at a guest ranch in the area, though she was from Idaho. After their initial introduction, her and Patrick began dating immediately. The two would often spend weekends together while Crystal was in nursing school. They talked on the phone almost every day and would also take weekend trips away together. However, there were times when Patrick would go days without speaking to Crystal and it made her feel lonely and insecure. She knew Patrick wasn't being faithful to her, but when she brought it up, he would turn it around and accuse her of cheating on him. They ultimately ended their relationship, though not for the first time, in August of 2007. Patrick had been exceptionally mean and cruel to Crystal, so she decided at the time to move back to Idaho after the two had parted ways. About a month later, she met a new love interest, a man named Chad Lee, and things were immediately serious between them. Crystal was moving on, but Patrick found out about Chad 
because he had hacked her voicemail and would repeatedly listen to her messages, even though the two had since parted ways. Then, in December of 2008, Patrick bought Crystal a Border Collie puppy in hopes of reigniting their connection. He insisted she drive immediately from Idaho to his ranch in Colorado to pick it up. When she arrived, he confronted her, demanding she choose between him or Chad. The way he explained it to Crystal was that, quote, you can't ride two horses at the same time and you have to decide. According to Crystal, her and Patrick had a, quote, crazy chemistry, yet he never talked about his feelings for her and she never felt like he would commit exclusively to her. When she pointed out that he had already had a girlfriend at the time, he became enraged and gave Crystal until March of 2009 to make up her mind. Crystal loved Patrick, but on some level, knew she was in an unhealthy and abusive relationship with him. Patrick, on the other hand, didn't like to lose. He especially didn't like losing to another man. When she ultimately chose to stay with Chad, Patrick told Crystal that she either had to pay him for the dog or he would come to Idaho and kill it. His ultimatum upset her so greatly that she considered paying him. Although Chad told her if she paid him for the dog, she would risk losing him too. Ultimately, their unhealthy relationship ended. Crystal didn't hear from Patrick again until nearly two years later, on the night before her wedding to Chad Lee in 2010. Patrick told Crystal that she was the one who got away and that he should have rescued her. After the call, she spent the entire night upset and crying. But this was Patrick's way. He would routinely do this throughout the 12 years they had known each other. He had a way of inserting himself back into her life during key moments as a mechanism of control. He never offered her any signs of commitment, but relished in causing her emotional turmoil and distress. He took immense joy in exerting control over their relationship, whether Chad Lee knew it or not. Although she was still in love with Patrick, Crystal knew that Chad would make the better husband, so she chose him. After marrying, Crystal and Chad had a son together in 2012 and a daughter later in 2014. Crystal did not speak to Patrick again until 2015 when her and her husband began having marital problems. She couldn't help but think back to the night before her wedding when Patrick so lovingly told her that she was the one who got away. Sometimes love can be like that, a muscle memory. We learn to idolize someone over time and forget all the negatives about them. All Crystal could think about was a love lost and her hopes of one day recapturing those intense feelings of euphoria. She texted Patrick and in late October, she made arrangements to go to Colorado to look at some cattle for sale. She also made plans to meet up with Patrick during the visit. And sure enough, all of those same old feelings came rushing back in. She felt like nothing had changed between them Patrick said they were both grown up and should try again. He relished in the control he now exerted over someone else's wife. In Patrick's eyes, Chad was the loser and he was the winner. Crystal and Patrick began having a romantic affair that very weekend during her visit. The affair continued through 2016 when he encouraged her to get a divorce. Crystal eventually had divorce papers drawn up and the two began talking about starting their own family together. However, Part of Crystal knew that Patrick would never remain faithful to her, and once again, she felt conflicted. In March of that same year, Crystal found out she was pregnant with Patrick's child. When she asked him what to do about it, he allegedly responded, quote, either you're a baby killer or you're not. His reaction was upsetting, but ultimately, Crystal decided to have an abortion. Fearing his judgment and possible negative reaction, she lied to Patrick and told him that she miscarried. Crystal later filed her divorce petition in May of 2016, about the same time Patrick had begun his long-distance relationship with Kelsey Barrett. Once Crystal filed for divorce, Patrick stopped speaking to her altogether until October of 2017, which ironically was the very month that Kelsey and Patrick's baby, Kaylee, was born. He texted Crystal out of the blue and they spoke on the phone for two hours, Patrick never once mentioning having a fiancé or a new baby. Crystal was ecstatic to reconnect with him once again, and in March of 2018, she came to Colorado for the weekend to have Patrick shoe some of her horses and to look at land with him. Their relationship was always one of convenience for him. Crystal always came to Patrick. He never once went to her. Later that night, they went to dinner, and at no point did Patrick mention that he was in a relationship or that he had a young daughter. 
After returning back to Idaho, Crystal came back to visit Patrick again in June of 2018 to spend the weekend helping him repair some fencing. While working on the fence, he mentioned how much he would love to have a son someday to help with the ranch chores. Later on during that visit, Crystal had dinner with a mutual friend and was shocked when the friend mentioned that Patrick had a baby. Her friend remarked what a great father he was to his daughter, despite having almost zero help from the mother, according to his story. Crystal was fast catching on to Patrick's intricate web of lies, and when she came back to Colorado in August of 2018 to pick up a horse that her aunt had purchased, she confronted Patrick, handing him a bag with baby toys inside while congratulating him. It was her way of letting him know that she knew about Kelsey and Kaylee. Instead of being contrite or apologetic or even offering up an explanation, Patrick simply told her that this wasn't the proper time to discuss it. Eventually, all he would say about Kaylee that he was doing his best to, quote, protect the innocent. This was also the month when Kelsey was attending a stress and sleep study in California, the very same month Patrick paid an attorney to draw up papers seeking full custody of their daughter. When Crystal presented Patrick with a bag of toys, she unwittingly presented him with an alternative out. A few weeks later, Patrick finally began opening up to Crystal about Kelsey, though he only usually vaguely referred to her as, quote, the mother. He began sending Crystal photos and videos of Kaylee and discussed how difficult it was to protect his young daughter from her allegedly self-destructive mother. He made up egregious lies about Kelsey and told Crystal made up stories of horrific neglect and abuse. He told her that Kelsey once intentionally slammed Kaylee's hand in a refrigerator door. He also claimed that Kelsey had burned the small child with an iron and that she would regularly forget to properly set up the baby gate, which led to Kaylee receiving numerous accidental injuries. Patrick also told Crystal that Kelsey was in and out of rehab for depression and alcohol abuse. He discussed their made-up ongoing custody battle and contentious exchanges of custody at a local police station. Believing his claims, Crystal easily fell back into Patrick's web of lies. She suggested that he report the abuse to the proper authorities, but he stated that he already had, but that the complaints had been dismissed. Sensing her growing loyalty, Patrick eventually asked Crystal what she was willing to do to protect his baby from, quote, imminent harm. Patrick felt confident in Crystal's unconditional love for him. He knew she believed him and would do anything he asked for a chance to be together. In fact, Patrick knew that Crystal was so hopelessly in love with him, she would even murder for him. He eventually told her that the best way to save Kaylee's life would be for Crystal to kill Kelsey, and she readily and eagerly agreed. Crystal told investigators that Patrick first in September asked that Crystal put poison or something in the Starbucks coffee, give that to Kelsey so that Kelsey would no longer be a problem. Then when that didn't work and Patrick was angry with Crystal, he then on October 15th, had, had Crystal come back to Colorado, provided her with a pipe by which Crystal was to strike Kelsey, killing her. And when that didn't work, Patrick then solicited Crystal again to come back on October 21st with a baseball bat to kill Kelsey. Patrick asked Crystal what the best way to poison someone was and she suggested a deadly combination of Ambien and Valium. The highly addictive sleep medication combined with the prescription muscle relaxant and the right dosages was surely lethal. Patrick told Crystal that Kelsey's favorite drink was a caramel macchiato from Starbucks. Using this information, Crystal knocked on Kelsey's door pretending to be a neighbor. She thanked Kelsey for putting her dogs back in her yard after they had got out. But Kelsey denied being the person who helped though she eventually accepted the coffee this nice stranger had to offer. The two women then engaged in small talk, and Kelsey mentioned in passing that she only moved to Woodland Park to be with her fiancé Patrick and their baby. Later, Crystal would insist that she never put any drugs in the coffee and only went to meet Kelsey to judge the woman for herself. The next day, Kelsey told Patrick and a co-worker about a stranger who came to her door and gave her coffee. Patrick was livid at Crystal when the plan failed. 
Crystal was hoping that Patrick would be relieved nothing happened to Kelsey. Instead, he decided to give Crystal another chance. He also told her that if anything happened to his daughter, that it would all be her fault. Crystal was torn, so much so that she confided in a close friend, telling her the tale of another friend who had a daughter that was being horribly abused by her mother. She told her friend that the father wanted her to help by killing the mother of his child. Her friend told her to carefully document the conversations and report them to police. But Crystal said she couldn't because Patrick would never discuss his growing desire to have Kelsey killed over text. In fact, he'd instructed Crystal to purchase a burner cell phone and required that they only discussed Kelsey's murder on that untraceable line. Later, Crystal lied to her friend and apologized for dragging her into the drama and promised she wouldn't get involved. The friend thought about reporting Crystal's claims herself to the police. However, she didn't know the name of Crystal's friend in Colorado, so she chose not to make the call, a decision she would ultimately live to regret, as it was the first major missed opportunity to save Kelsey Barris' life. Patrick eventually gave Crystal another chance to, quote, redeem herself. But at that point, Crystal had met baby Kaylee several times and didn't see any signs of abuse. But Patrick insisted the abuse was increasing in frequency and veracity. He handed Crystal a metal pipe and told her to, quote, make sure there wasn't a lot of blood. That conversation happened on October 15, 2018, just two days before Patrick and Kelsey's family all came together to celebrate Kaylee's first birthday. Despite Crystal's increasing doubts that Kelsey was truly a bad mother, she drove to Kelsey's condo with the metal pipe, planning to kill her. When she approached the house, a dog barked, which scared Crystal into fleeing the scene. The next day, she explained to Patrick that there were too many people around and she didn't have a safe opportunity to kill Kelsey. She took care of Kaylee that day while Patrick worked. Again, she checked for herself, but didn't notice any bruises or signs of abuse on Kaylee. She began to doubt the stories that Patrick was telling her, and after two failed attempts on Kelsey's life, Patrick berated Crystal, calling her, quote, stupid and incompetent. Her belief that Kaylee was the victim of abuse was quickly fading, the more she realized it was Patrick who was abusing her, and likely making up stories about Kelsey's mistreatment of their daughter. Not wanting to completely abandon their possible future together, Patrick told Crystal he was willing to give her yet one more chance to prove her loyalty and love to him. He told her to go and buy a baseball bat and get to, quote, swinging away on Kelsey. So Crystal drove to her house one more time while Patrick and Kelsey exchanged Kaylee. She later stated she felt like it was either Kelsey or her and that one of them was going to die. Crying, she passed Kelsey on the road along the way back to Patrick's ranch. Once there, she told him she couldn't go through with it, that she wasn't a killer. Patrick again scolded Crystal, alleging that if anything happened to Kaylee, it would all be her fault. And then he threatened her. He told her that her ex-husband was a really good dad and that her kids would be just fine without her in the event anything ever happened to her. After growing increasingly frustrated that Crystal wouldn't go through with his plan, Patrick eventually told her that he would just have to, quote, take care of Kelsey myself. Hearing of the possibility of a pending murder coming to fruition at the hands of the man she loved, Crystal never once warned Kelsey of the danger she was in and never once contacted the authorities. It was the second blatant missed opportunity to save Kelsey Barris' life. And after her latest failed attempt, Crystal left Colorado, going back to her life in Idaho, leaving any chances at reconciliation with Patrick behind her. In the meantime, Kelsey continued believing she was in an exclusive relationship with the man she loved. She came from a deeply religious upbringing, and she was embarrassed by the fact she wasn't married to her child's father. This may have been why she lied to her job and listed Patrick as her husband. Her family believed the two were engaged, yet Patrick would later deny this. Kelsey would often text Patrick and ask when they could be a family and live together, because Patrick was the one with the power and control in the relationship. Their life together could only begin on his timeline, and he would rarely respond to her, and he never gave a direct answer to any of her questions. As she constantly worked for his attention and affection, Kelsey had no idea that for the past year, Patrick had portrayed her to all of his friends, family, and clients, and other romantic interests as an abusive and neglectful mother with loose morals. Kelsey believed that getting Patrick to move away from his mother, Sheila, was the next step in starting their lives together as a family. 
she suggested they buy their own ranch away from his family with the help of a down payment from her parents. She began sending Patrick links to ranches for sale in the area, but he wouldn't even give her the courtesy of a reply. Kelsey told her mother that Patrick was too proud to borrow money from them, and so she continued to wait. Patrick's father passed away in August of 2018, and he and his other three siblings were all embroiled in a nasty lawsuit against each other over their late father's estate. They were each fighting over land worth more than $400,000, and Kelsey hoped that once the estate was resolved, they would finally be able to purchase their own property on their own terms. In the meantime, she did all she could to avoid conflict and keep Patrick happy. Originally, Patrick was paying Kelsey $700 a month in child support, but had stopped making payments a few months earlier. Patrick was extremely jealous of Kelsey's job and constantly accused her of sleeping with coworkers and her Air Force flight students. To appease him, she asked her HR manager if she could cut back her hours and go part-time, but this change would cause her to lose some of her medical benefits for Kaylee. And since Patrick was no longer paying child support, she asked him to add Kaylee to his insurance plan so she could go part-time. She hoped that if she worked less, this would please Patrick, but she couldn't have been more wrong. Patrick made it extremely difficult for her to spend time with Kaylee. Kelsey would take their daughter to work on non-flying days in order to show Patrick what a good mother she was, but he continued to make her feel guilty for being a working mom. On November 21st, 2018, the day before Thanksgiving, Kelsey, Kaylee, and Patrick spent the day together as a family. They helped Patrick water cattle he kept on a neighboring ranch, where he leased grazing rights. The only thing that spoiled the day was when Patrick became ill and began throwing up. Kelsey was very worried about him and began Googling his symptoms and thought he might have an ulcer, so she drove to the store and bought him medicine for his stomach and stayed with him until she was sure he was feeling better. But as she spent her last night alive worrying about Patrick's health and comfort, he was quietly making plans to murder her. The receipt for that medicine would later be found by law enforcement on the seat of Kelsey's car. She texted Patrick at almost 4 o'clock in the morning, telling him that she and Kaylee made it home safely back to her condo and that she would see him the next day for Thanksgiving. She offered to cook for Patrick, but he had his own family dinner to attend, of which she wasn't invited to. Instead, they decided they would eat out together a little earlier in the day, so Kelsey stayed up and made fresh cinnamon rolls, which was one of her family traditions growing up. Even though they had plans to eat dinner out, she thought of doing something special for him and decided to make him his favorite dish, sweet potato casserole with pecans. The surveillance video from that shopping trip would be the last time Kelsey would be seen in public alive before she mysteriously disappeared. According to Patrick, he came over 20 minutes later and picked up Kaylee to run some errands. The shopping trip would also be caught on surveillance cameras and corroborated his alleged timeline. He purchased baby formula and scented candles before returning back to Kelsey's condo, but would later claim that she then broke up with him and asked him to return her gun and keep Kaylee until the following Sunday. They allegedly exchanged text messages with one another, and Sunday was when she abruptly stopped communication with him. And then, nothing. Kelsey Barrett went radio silent and simply vanished. On December 2nd, 2018, Patrick received a phone call from Cheryl Barrett, Kelsey's mother. She couldn't reach Kelsey and was growing increasingly concerned. She was surprised when he told her that he and Kelsey had broken up on Thanksgiving Day. Cheryl had talked to Kelsey on Thanksgiving and knew she was planning to surprise Patrick with his favorite dish. It didn't sound like her daughter was ending their relationship anytime soon. Patrick told Cheryl that Kelsey had demanded all of her belongings back, including her gun. Cheryl had an immediate flashback to an odd text she received from Kelsey late in the evening on Thanksgiving night. In the message, Kelsey said she was excited that Patrick took her shooting and allowed her to have her gun back. Remembering it now gave her an unsettling feeling. Then Patrick told her that he and Kelsey mutually decided, since they were both, quote, great parents, that they would agree to 50-50 custody of Kaylee. He told Cheryl that he and Kelsey had made tentative plans to meet up on the 25th, but she never texted him back. Patrick informed Cheryl that Kelsey was secretly abusive to him and put him down constantly in front of their daughter and that this was the real cause of their breakup. Patrick also shared that Kelsey didn't always return home directly after work and would often go out to dinner with her male co-workers, the implication being that Kelsey might have flown somewhere with a colleague. Since Kelsey and Patrick shared a phone plan, 
Cheryl asked Patrick to provide her with a printout of Kelsey's phone activity, but he told her he believed Kelsey had opened up her own phone plan and had changed her phone number without his knowledge. He then told her that he loved her daughter and Woodland Park was a safe area and that she didn't need to worry about, quote, any foul play. He stated that this wasn't the first time that Kelsey had run off and to just give it some time. But Cheryl knew Patrick was lying to her. She just didn't know why. She found out from Kelsey's boss that Kelsey had texted them on the 24 saying she had to take a week off to visit her sick grandmother. But Cheryl knew that Kelsey's grandmother was in a long-term care facility with Alzheimer's disease and was no longer able to communicate. This discrepancy caused Cheryl to contact the Woodland Police Department on December 2nd, requesting they conduct a welfare check on her daughter. Responding police reported there were no signs of foul play inside of her condo. Her two cars were parked in the driveway, but her keys, purse, and cell phone were all missing. The police officers suggested that Cheryl file a missing persons report. The same day, Commander Chris Adams from the Woodland Police Department contacted Patrick and asked him about his last contact with Kelsey. Patrick gave a slightly different version of events than he had previously shared with Cheryl. Patrick told Commander Adams that Kelsey had ended their relationship on Thanksgiving and demanded he return all of her personal belongings, including her gun. He also told Commander Adams that Kelsey had recently been in rehab for depression and substance abuse and that he was worried she might harm herself. He also denied being engaged and said the two were merely dating. He also told Adams that Kelsey was unstable and abusive to their daughter and she was worried he was going to seek full custody and that he would probably win. He stated that they exchanged a few text messages and had a phone call on the 24th. He portrayed Kelsey as an erratic mother and said she begged him for 50-50 custody. She asked that he continue to care for Kaylee until she returned, and she texted him again on the 25th, stating, quote, do you even love me anymore? To which he replied that he did, but for some reason his message never went through. Commander Adams immediately had a bad feeling about the case. He called Cheryl and she told him she didn't think that her daughter was still alive. She shared a story about Kaylee's birth when she was born three weeks premature. Because of her early arrival, Kaylee was immediately taken to the NICU and placed in an incubator where they could monitor her lungs and breathing. Patrick became enraged and started screaming at the staff, demanding that his baby be brought to Kelsey's room. He insisted that the first few hours of bonding with the baby was crucial to the baby's development, and his mother agreed. When Kelsey tried to calm him down and told him it was okay, he became enraged with Kelsey too. He threatened to kill the nurse if his baby wasn't brought to him immediately. Because of his aggressive behavior and the way he spoke to Kelsey and the staff, social services was brought in. They took custody of Kaylee and she wasn't allowed to go home with Kelsey until they could confirm that she had a safe environment for the baby and that she was not in an abusive relationship. Patrick brought up the memory of that day again a few weeks earlier at Kaylee's birthday party. He again stated that he should have killed the nurse. Adams was immediately impressed with Cheryl's strength and stoicism given the circumstances. He also understood why she no longer believed that her daughter was alive. Regardless, he wanted nothing more than to return Kelsey back to her mother. I'd just like to talk to you a little bit about Kelsey. She's not the kind that runs off. This is completely out of character. Kelsey loves her God, she loves her family and friends, and she loves her job. She's reliable, considerate, and honest. We've created the Facebook page, Missing Mother, Kelsey Barrett, as a site that gets her face out there, that's used to spread the word that she's missing. And we'd like to ask everyone to please share it. Don't use it as a place to speculate, interrogate, or to dog the administrators. Um, we're all doing our best to get this information out. We're doing our best to respond to the questions and so forth, but, but that's what the police force is there for and for the, the press site. Our sole goal is to get Kelsey out in front of everyone. Like I said, she doesn't run off, and someone knows where she's at. Kelsey, we just want you home. Call us if you can, and we won't quit looking. With every indication pointing squarely in the direction of foul play, Patrick Frazee at the center of Kelsey's mother Cheryl's suspicions. She pleaded to the public for help as police continued gathering evidence and 
building their case against Patrick. But Woodland Park has a small police station with few resources that doesn't often get high-profile murder cases. So Commander Adams immediately contacted the Colorado Bureau of Investigations and asked for their help with search warrants and forensics. You know, Cheryl is probably one of the most stoic people I've ever met in my life, besides my mom. Mm -hmm. My mom's 90 and she's, you know, a tough lady, but Cheryl um, is just one of the strongest women I've ever met in my life. You know, she, Cheryl knew on the 4th Kelsey was dead. I mean, she flat out told me, um, I know she's gone. And, and I, is it a mother's intuition? I don't know. But, you know, I try to say, well, we haven't come to that conclusion yet, but I'm hoping you're wrong. As police suspicions continue to ramp up for Kelsey's safety, they conducted a series of search warrants. After the first search of Kelsey's condo, the police department prematurely released the scene to the Barrett family. After their first inspection, they decided there were no signs of struggle or foul play. So Cheryl and her son Clint Barrett came down from Idaho to stay at the condo while they looked for Kelsey. Kelsey grew up in Idaho just a few hours away from where Crystal Kenny was raised. On December 6th, Clint Barrett noticed blood in several areas in Kelsey's bathroom. There looked to be blood swipes on the side of the toilet bowl, on the toilet rack, on the cabinets, and on the baseboards. They also noticed things that were missing from the condo. Cheryl had just stayed in the home a few weeks prior for Kaylee's one-year birthday party. She noticed that some of Kaylee's things were missing, like toys and large stuffed animals, and notably, Kelsey's Bible. She also noticed missing curtains, pillows, and bath mats that were there during her stay. As they explored the home further, they also discovered large streaks on the appliances, as if they'd recently been cleaned with a strong, abrasive cleaner. When they reported their findings, they were asked to immediately vacate the premises so CBI could come back in with a forensics team. The forensic team immediately found signs of a cleanup, believing Kelsey was likely attacked and killed inside of her own home. After spraying luminol, it became clear that someone had cleaned up large areas of blood spatter. They were able to find Kelsey's blood that had seeped deeply into the wooden floors and soaked into the floorboards. The amount of blood was so significant, the only logical outcome of the vicious attack was loss of life. An expert in blood spatter analysis said the bloodstain patterns were consistent with someone who had been bludgeoned to death anywhere between 10 and 15 times. He would later testify that it's quite hard to kill someone by hitting them, that the human body is very resilient, and unless you engage in a sustained and systemic attack, the person can recover. It's not like TV where you can hit someone once and they fall over and die. Forensics highlighted the cleaned up bloody footprints and the cast off spray that went all over the condo including all the way to the ceiling. Their discovery confirmed Cheryl Barreth's initial gut instinct and her worst fears, that Kelsey Barreth was no longer alive and her death appeared to be long and brutal. Once investigators received the search warrant results for Kelsey's phone, they knew they needed to involve the public. With the media's assistance, they asked for tips on whereabouts of the young missing mother, and given the recent notoriety with the Shanann Watts case, another recently missing Colorado mother, the press and public immediately became fixated on the case. The tip line fast received over 600 calls that each required follow-up. Given the high publicity, Patrick Frazee felt the need to establish an alibi, having each person he encountered in the days leading up to Kelsey's mysterious disappearance phone in to the tip line with their story. Patrick's phone was eventually seized by law enforcement on December 4th. He then went into a Verizon wireless store and purchased a new phone. But while he was there, he also asked for assistance in changing the PIN number of the account that held both his phone and Kelsey's phone. They tried to get corporate involved in changing the passcode, but they were unable to help him since he couldn't answer Kelsey's security questions. He then asked if it was possible to recover data from a destroyed cell phone. According to the records, it appeared that Kelsey's phone was active until November 25th, when it last pinged off a cell phone tower in Idaho. Once the case crossed state lines, the Colorado Bureau of Investigations knew they needed to involve the FBI to get their assistance in interviewing witnesses. That's when Kevin Hoyland of the Federal Bureau of Investigations first became involved in the multi-state search for Kelsey. It was Hoyland who analyzed a majority of the cell phone data that showed a much different version of events and Patrick Frazee originally shared with police. You know, in today's day and age, we know that electronics are, are huge in police work. That's not a, that's not a secret. 
Uh, it's huge in everything that we do. So certainly we wanted to get a hold of all the cell phone information and start breaking that down and seeing, all right, what is consistent, what is inconsistent, are there any consistencies or inconsistencies? So once we were able to secure the information from the cell phones and we were um, able to dissect it, obviously through, through Kevin Hoyland, um, that's when we were able to really focus in on what would turn out to be Crystal's cell phone. According to the cell phone records, Patrick exchanged numerous text messages and several phone calls on Thanksgiving beginning at 4.30 p.m. with an Idaho number. His communication to that phone number continued through the 25th. In fact, on November 25th, Patrick's phone, Kelsey's phone, and the Idaho number were all pinging off a cell phone tower together near Patrick's ranch. And that same day on the 25th, the Idaho number and Kelsey's phone both left Patrick's ranch and traveled together to several remote cell phone towers throughout Colorado, Utah, and ultimately to Gooding, Idaho, when Kelsey's phone stopped responding for the last time. The Idaho number and Kelsey's phone were also together when Kelsey's phone texted her boss, and when it sent one final message to Patrick, asking him if he still loved her. Police concluded from the travel patterns that whoever owned the Idaho number that had taken Kelsey's phone did so to mislead authorities into believing that Kelsey was still alive through November 25th, and that mysterious Idaho phone number belonged to none other and Crystal Lee Kenny. We had kind of had a little game plan and um, it was very apparent that Crystal wanted to talk. Crystal wanted to provide information, but she wanted to protect herself, which is understandable. But when we got in the interview, um, I've been doing this a long time. I've been in police work uh, 37 years and I've never had a no body case. Um, and. I've never had a case where a body's been burned. Mm -hmm. And I didn't expect that. I didn't expect Crystal to come out and say she was burned. I, I wasn't expecting Crystal to come out and say some of the things she, she said. Um, her involvement, the solicitations, mm -hmm. that stuff. So it was like a, holy crap, this is bizarre. Authorities contacted Crystal by phone and asked her how she knew Patrick Frazee. She told the FBI that she didn't know who he was and then remembered that she called him about a horse. When they asked her the last time she spoke with him, she said it was within the last month and a half. The FBI knew that it was a lie based on the phone records. They next called Chad Lee, Crystal's ex-husband with whom she still lived, for a phone interview. Chad told them that Crystal went out of town the night of the 23rd and didn't return until November 25th. She told Chad she was helping a friend move and then went to a birthday party. But the FBI knew that wasn't true because one of Crystal's friends contacted the tip line already, stating she had switched cars with Crystal and knew Crystal took her car to Colorado. The friend also checked the gun she kept in the car. She regularly kept eight rounds in the full magazine, but when the car was returned, there were only six rounds in the magazine, one in the chamber, and one was missing. Chad also told the FBI that Crystal lied to them about barely knowing Patrick and explained that she actually knew Patrick back when she was in college for more than a decade. He also knew that his then-wife and Patrick had been having an affair in 2015 and that it picked up again in 2016. He also told the FBI that the same day they seized Patrick's phone, Crystal asked Chad to go and buy her new one, claiming that hers had stopped working, though he later found her old phone in the backyard in a burn pile. The FBI knew Crystal was somehow involved in Kelsey Barrett's disappearance, so they came back on the 17th for an in-person interview. When confronted, she told them she really wanted to talk to them and had information that was important to their investigation, but she said she needed to hire a lawyer first. Crystal's attorney quickly negotiated a plea bargain in exchange for her vital testimony. And I gotta say, um, none of us wanted to give a deal uh, to Crystal Lee. Uh, she deserves every day that the judge may or may not sentence, he'll decide that sentence, but she deserves every single day that she gets. Uh, so part of our job I don't like, I didn't like in this case, ultimately it was my decision. I can tell you we spoke uh, with Miles DeYoung with the Woodland Park Police Department. We spoke to the agents who were involved in this case to get their opinions. I spoke with my team, I actually spoke with a number of other prosecutors. Uh, we did a deal with the devil. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that, and I'm not proud of that. Uh, but. There's no question that Kelsey 
wouldn't have had the sure justice today without making that deal with the devil. We didn't pick her. Uh, as I said before, it's the defendant who picked her. Uh, he's the one who decided to put all these witnesses into this case. Uh, we had to deal with it. Uh, we felt it was important to solve this case. And in the end, we concentrated on who killed Kelsey. Crystal agreed to plead guilty to the lowest level felony for tampering with evidence, which carried a sentence from probation up to three years in prison in exchange for her full cooperation. After law enforcement heard her story, they were shocked at her level of involvement. Crystal took them through each of the three failed attempts she made on Kelsey's life. She also explained that on the night of Thanksgiving, she got a text from Patrick wishing her a happy Thanksgiving and telling her to call him. When she didn't respond, she got a second text telling her to call him right away, that it was urgent. So she stepped outside and briefly spoke to Patrick. He told her to come down to Colorado that night because she had a, quote, mess to clean up. She said she would call him back later, and according to phone records, they spoke again for 30 minutes at 9.30 p.m. She told him she couldn't leave right away, and he told her that she better figure it out. Wanting nothing more than to remain loyal to Patrick, Crystal concocted a story. She told Chad that she was going to Utah to a friend's house to help her move out, and then to a birthday party. But she switched cars with her friend and drove 12 hours through the night, arriving at Patrick's on the morning of the 24th. Cell phone records would verify that her phone, Patrick's phone, and Kelsey's phone were all together near Patrick's ranch that same morning. She then got the key to Kelsey's condo and went over to clean up the crime scene. She had no idea what happened to Kelsey, but the small two-bedroom condo was covered in blood. The loft-style home had blood running throughout it, from the kitchen all the way inside the open concept layout to the upstairs bedroom. And as Crystal describes, when she walks into Kelsey's condo, the scene is horrific. There's blood everywhere. There are bloody footprints everywhere. And Crystal cleans up blood, but leaves behind some telltale evidence for our investigators to find. Crystal was an obvious willing participant in Patrick's murderous plan. He demanded unwavering loyalty, and she wanted to prove herself worthy to him time after time. It took very little persuasion from Patrick to involve herself as an accessory to murder after the fact. Accordingly, she showed up prepared to do his bidding and clean up his crime scene. After clearing the deal with the prosecutor's office, the GBI brought Crystal back into Kelsey Barris' condo and asked her to walk them through her involvement, room by room. Donning a black FBI ball cap and a matching black police CBI agent sweatshirt, Crystal walked law enforcement officials through Kelsey's home, casually explaining how she showed up that Thanksgiving in a full protective medical suit, shoe covers, gloves, and a hairnet, prepared to clean up the gruesome aftermath of Kelsey Barrett's murder, all in a bid to reignite her relationship with Patrick. And did you say, correct me if I'm wrong, did you say that you cleaned off some of the appliances? I did. I wiped the front. There was blood on the front of the dishwasher. There was blood on the front of the stove. Um, there was um, that cinnamon roll pan had blood on the um, tinfoil on top of it. So the, okay, so let me go back. There was tinfoil on top on of On top it? of the cinnamon roll pan and it was sitting right there. And what did you do with the tinfoil? I put it in the, the rest of the stuff. Okay. Um, um, there was blood on top of the coffee maker. There was blood. Um, in fact, uh, I had to climb up. There was a blood spatter up high. How'd you climb up? I just climbed up right here and on the camera. Um, if you take down that stuff, yeah. if you look in that stuff, there may I didn't go through it. I there may be stuff up in that. Um, there was um, blood spatter on the side of here and on the front of the cabinet. There was blood everywhere including on Kaylee's toys. There was also a sweater soaked in blood, along with Kaylee's stuffed animals, and all over the kitchen appliances. Kelsey's blood spatter was also on the tinfoil covering the fresh cinnamon rolls she had baked that morning for Patrick. Crystal tells law enforcement that she left Kelsey's place just a few hours later, with six bags of trash covered in blood. But inside the bags wasn't trash. It was the curtains, pillows, rugs, and even Kelsey's Bible that Cheryl had previously noticed were missing from her daughter's condo. The very things that made her house a home. The things that Cheryl herself had helped Kelsey buy and decorate their condo with. The quote trash, as Crystal described it, 
were the items that could not be salvaged as they were soaked in Kelsey Barrett's blood. Can you show us the size that they were? Yeah. Okay. Um, about, they were big stuffed animals. What, and what kind of stuffed animal? What were they? The, type of animal? Well, I can remember that the one was a horse. Okay. And I don't remember what the other one was. Alright. The building blocks, what were they made of? Wood. Okay. Um, and you, did you say yesterday that there were some books as well? Yes, okay. they were in her belongings. In whose belongings? Uh, Kelsey's. That, and, and where were those? They books? got put in the burn too. Okay. Any particular, do you remember what the books were by just... Um, uh, um, one of them was her, uh, I would imagine it was a Bible, and I don't know what the other one was. Okay. Um, was whose Bible? Uh, it was in Kelsey's house, so I would imagine it was hers. Did you take the Bible? From her house. Okay, and where did you take the Bible from? The windowsill. Where? By the, um, on the right-hand side of the windowsill by the picture. Uh, wh which windowsill, though? The front windowsill. The, the one by the fireplace? South side. Okay, and can you describe and show me how, what the size of that Bible was? So that's, okay. I don't, I don't. Okay. It may have been a book of, it, I know it was a religious book. I don't know that it was a Bible. And that was on the windowsill? Yes, sir. All right. You also had mentioned that you had, you found cookie cutters or you took cookie cutters? Yes. What material were those made of? Plastic. Okay. Crystal continued recounting the horrific events to law enforcement. She told them how Patrick told her to make sure that she found a missing tooth belonging to Kelsey. Crystal recalled finding the tooth with the root still attached. And in a bid to portray herself as compassionate, Crystal claimed to police that she decided to leave small clues for investigators to later find. Without emotion and in a flat tone, she described her, quote, compassionate acts by pointing out blood that could still be found on the porous rock that covered the fireplace. When in reality, after her 12-hour drive, Crystal was likely sleep-deprived and mistakenly left them behind in her otherwise careful attempt to cover up her lover's murder. After Crystal cleaned up the crime scene, she told law enforcement that she returned to Patrick's ranch, where he shared the rest of the details of Kelsey's brutal murder with her. According to what Patrick told her, he'd arrived at Kelsey's house around 12.45 with Kaylee's formula and a surprise for Kelsey. Unbeknownst to her, he was hiding a baseball bat inside of his jacket when he lovingly placed Kaylee inside of her playpen just moments before intending to take away her mother on the very day meant for family gatherings. A mother he didn't believe was worthy enough to raise his child. A mother he saw as a drain on his financial resources. According to Patrick, he told Kelsey that he wanted to play a game with her, and with his often moody temperament, she must have been relieved that Patrick was in a kind and playful mood. In a romantic play, he blindfolded her with his own sweater and told her to bend down and smell the candles to guess the scent. Kelsey had no idea that the man she loved and hoped to one day marry and continue building a life with was about to swing a baseball bat down upon her head, ending her life forever. Before beginning, he placed the candles in the kitchen thinking it would be the easiest room to clean up afterward. As she leaned over blindfolded and took in a deep breath, Patrick swung with all his might, hoping the first swing would swiftly end her life. After all, he didn't want her to suffer. He only wanted her to die with as little mess as possible, but that isn't quite what happened. Instead of falling to the floor as he hoped, Kelsey stumbled away, trying to escape the repeated devastating blows. She staggered into the living room as he continued swinging the bat, and with each swing, he was casting off blood, all the way to the open upstairs loft bedroom and across the vaulted ceilings. According to Patrick, her last words were, please, please stop. When it was finally over, he looked around and was shocked by how much blood there was to clean up. That's when he decided to call Crystal and told her to get down to Colorado, that she had a, quote, big mess to clean up. He then calmly changed clothes and placed Kelsey's bloodied and battered body into a black tote bag. He then grabbed Kaylee from her playpen, where she more than likely bore silent witness to her mother's brutal murder. He then left for his family's Thanksgiving Day dinner. While Patrick ate, surrounded by family, Kelsey's body was in his truck inside a large black tote he used to store rodeo gear. Law enforcement were able to capture images of the tote in the back of his truck on his drive back to the family ranch. The next day, he and Crystal placed the tote 
along with Kelsey's body inside of a large, rusted-out metal watering trough. After placing her body in the center, he surrounded it with wooden pallets and lumber soaked in gasoline and motor oil, before setting the entire pile afire. Can you describe what else went into the fire? Pallets went into the fire. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the materials from her home. Um, and those were in what? Uh, garbage bags. Okay. In garbage bags. Um, like, uh, black garbage bags, white garbage bags? Uh, two white garbage bags and I believe four black garbage bags. Um, the gasoline, the motor oil. There were a couple of buckets. He poured gasoline in the bucket and pitched it into the fire. Bucket like a clean a white, bucket? A white, like, um, maybe there used to be like an old mineral bucket for like, uh, or like a feed bucket, you know, just a little white bucket. Um, I don't recall anything else that went Originally, Patrick wanted Crystal to take Kelsey's body back to Idaho with her, but she refused. So he insisted she take Kelsey's phone with her to mislead police. He also gave her instructions on who to text before destroying the phone. Before leaving, he also sent her with Kelsey's gun, purse, wallet, and keys. Can you explain to me what you wanted to clarify about what was thrown in to the fire by you? So the things that were thrown into the fire by me were the um, the belongings from Kelsey's house, the curtains, the pillows, the stuffed animals, the um, cleaning supplies, the towels, everything that I set on record prior to everything that I took from her house. Okay. I also threw in all the clothing that I was wearing, plus a pair of shoes that I had been wearing. Um, and I believe that that's all that, uh, that I had with me that I threw into the fire. So what kind of shoes were you wearing? They were um, black tennis shoes. You had a pants? I, um, um, and, and the clothing that you were wearing, can you just describe the clothing? So I had on um, a white, a white uh, bunny suit or, or white jumpsuit. Um, underneath the jumpsuit, I had a, a sweater and a pair of pants. Okay, what was the color of the sweater? Gray. And? Pants were black. And did the pants, were they a particular brand of pants? No, they were just like... Any writing on the sweater? Shoes. No. It was just a gray hoodie. Socks, underwear, bra? All of that I kept on. Okay. Uh, any kind of hair netting? Hair, a hair, yeah. A cover for my hair and shoe covering also. Okay. And gloves. And just to clarify, the Kelsey's purse and contents, you said that you had taken those out uh, and threw those in? No, those went to Idaho. Crystal didn't realize it, but she was a very important part of Patrick's plan all along. She wasn't just a co-conspirator. She was the intended fall guy. She was his alternative suspect. It was important that police believe that Kelsey was still alive through Crystal's arrival in Colorado. They couldn't know that Kelsey actually died on Thanksgiving because Crystal had an ironclad alibi that night 12 hours away and with many witnesses. It was important that police follow the breadcrumbs that he left for them. Patrick believed he was the smartest man in every room and that he had thought of everything. He planned to be the other victim in this tragedy, and that Crystal would look like the desperate ex-girlfriend who simply couldn't live without him. All of their communications during the previous three attempts on Kelsey's life were to Crystal's burner phone. Yet beginning on the night of Thanksgiving, Patrick called Crystal's primary cell phone. He always intended to lead law enforcement back to Crystal's door. Later, she surmised that when she switched cars with Patrick, he likely tampered with her friend's gun so police would believe that she had shot Kelsey to death. And in another attempt to leave a clue for police, he purposely instructed her to drive back to Idaho with Kelsey's phone to lead authorities along a false trail. A trail that would inevitably lead detectives directly to Crystal Lee Kenny's front doorstep. It was Patrick's plan that they would find Kelsey's purse, wallet, keys, phone, and gun, all in Crystal's possession, because Patrick was the ultimate manipulator, pulling the strings together in a plan that ultimately involved framing his ex-lover as a cold-blooded killer leaving him behind as the innocent and grieving widower. But he never imagined that Crystal would take a deal 
and tell police the actual truth of what happened and betray him the very way he had been betraying women his entire life with sociopathic charisma and charm. Based on my observations of Patrick Frazee over the last year, that there's a potential that Patrick Frazee indicates and is consistent with a, a sociopath. Um, and that's a person who has um, basically an inability to feel empathy with other people. Um, I've never seen him to be anything but the emotionless state that he has demonstrated uh, in the court throughout this trial. Patrick Frazee was arrested on December 21st, 2018, almost one month to the day after he killed Kelsey Barrett. He pleaded not guilty and showed zero emotion throughout his entire trial. At the end of the court proceedings, it was discovered that Patrick wrote 17 letters to a former inmate, asking the man to kill several key witnesses who were planning to testify against him, including Crystal Lee Kenny and her entire family. He also wanted a message from Crystal's phone sent directly to the media. The message was supposed to say that her family was in hiding and that she was actually the person who killed Kelsey and that police offered her a deal to lie in order to set him up. He also requested that his mother Sheila be given a very specific message once the witnesses had all been murdered. Someone was to either call or text Sheila Frazee telling her, quote, the horses have been taken care of and the elk hunt was successful. On November 18, 2019, just a few days short of the one-year anniversary of Kelsey's brutal murder, Patrick Frazee was convicted of first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit murder, tampering with evidence, and gross abuse of a corpse. He was sentenced to life in prison plus 156 years. Crystal Lee Kenny, who was the recipient of the prosecution's proverbial quote, deal with the devil, received the maximum allowable sentence under the deal, a shockingly brief three years in prison, though she's only expected to serve half that. Following Patrick Frazee's arrest and subsequent conviction, Kaylee was temporarily placed with the Barrett family, where she remains to this day. They hope to one day be able to legally adopt her and continue raising her in Kelsey's honor. If you can't get enough Invisible Choir, join the hundreds who have already signed up for Invisible Choir Premium at patreon.com slash invisiblechoir. For just $5 per month, you get access to exclusive weekly mini-episodes every single Friday. There's already nearly 50 in the back catalog, along with other premium content. There's also additional levels of support that can get you access to our other exclusive show, Invisible Choir Uncensored, with content that is far too graphic for the regular free feed. In addition, our U.S. customers are eligible for limited edition Invisible Choir perks at the higher tiers of support. So sign up today at patreon.com slash invisiblechoir or click the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care of each other.